to talk about some Star Trek. My name is Jason Norton, and... Hi, I'm Libby Norton, and uh, yeah, our kid, I almost feel like cracking a beer right now. Like, you I know? won't, because I have to work tomorrow, but... Same here. I, yeah, but I want to crack a beer. I know, right? Maybe if I, like, spiritually crack a beer, it will be the same. I know. Well, anyway, uh, welcome to Trekking Awesome. Yeah, welcome to Trekking Awesome. Hi. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about some Star Trek today, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode we're talking about is where no one has gone before. Um, so this episode uh, is kind of a Crusher-centric episode. Wesley, that is, not yeah, Wesley, Beverly, not Bev- unfortunately. Well, yeah, well... Well, she's just so much easier to make fun of. Wesley, you just roll your eyes into the back of your head until you detach your retinas. Yeah. Yeah, we do have a few uh, Beverly Crusher Senate episodes, uh, and, and none of wait. them are good. I cannot wait. Sub Rosa is one of the worst episodes ever, oh, ever in the I think history anytime, of ever. I think anytime they gave Gates McFadden her own storyline, it just like went way off the rails. Yeah, totally, for some reason. I mean, I maybe because she's pretty and the writers were just like stunned. Yeah, and they couldn't write good dialogue I don't for her or a good I don't plot. Know. I don't know. But we're not talking about Beverly today. Uh, we're talking not. about Wesley today uh, and yes. his new three fingered companion. <laughs> that uh, sounds so dirty. <laughs> no. Um, I said that intentionally. Oh, um, no. You're not going to go all skeeve bot, are you? No, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid it. I mean, maybe okay. just because it's one of those things where it's like, it's too much about like the guy's performance and not about like the writing or their intent. I don't know. I, yeah, no, there's a lot about the traveler that is bothersome, but I think, I think if you look at that, look at it like, from the perspective of a 1980s audience, yeah. it's forgivable. His bad acting is not forgivable, though. Fair enough. It's never... Bad acting is never forgivable. Yeah. But... I mean, but yeah, the the intention, I think I can, like, move past. But the, True enough. But the acting, I just can't. I just can't. True enough. Um, okay, so do we want to take a minute and uh, I, can, I can give a halfway solid recap, I think? Yeah, no, let's go ahead and do that. Alrighty. The Enterprise is due for a few upgrades, and Kaczynski is going to provide them. Kaczynski arrives with more style than substance and tries to convince Commander Riker and Chief Engineer Argyle of his innate, if mathematically unprovable, brilliance. The first test of Kaczynski's theories go a little too well, and they are thrown several galaxies away. The crew are stunned. All except for Wesley Crusher, who notices that the Traveler, Kaczynski's alien companion, phases during the test flight. Wesley suspects that there is more to this three-fingered alien that meets the eye and forms a fast friendship with him. The crew tries to return to the Alpha Quadrant, but the Traveler has run out of reward miles and instead throws them to the edge of the universe. The Traveler is tapped and collapses. Riker and the other crew members see the Traveler phasing in and out of their reality and realize it was his influence, not Kaczynski, that allowed them to travel so quickly. At the edge of the universe, thought and reality are one and the same, and warped reality begins to wreak havoc on the crew. Picard, desperate to return his crew home, awakens the weakened traveler who tells him that Wesley is one special snowflake and that his influence on the boy could help usher in the next phase of human existence. 
The Traveler is able to return the Enterprise to the Alpha Quadrant so long as everyone says, I do believe in fairies, with their brain power. Wesley is made acting ensign to the surprise of everyone except his righteous pumpkin-colored sweater, who knew he had it in him the whole time. Yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um... (laughs) I love your synopses every time. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think we should start off talking about kind of how this se- this episode fits into season one and how season one just has so many problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. I So I was re-watching a couple of episodes. Actually, an episode that I had seen before, but it had been a long time. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm sure we're going to cover it, if not next, like very soon thereafter. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was Haven. And, oh. Uh, yeah, Haven. so, like, I won't get into it too much because I, I do, I yeah. do want to talk about it, like, you know, f- um, together. But but mm-hmm. suffice it to say, like, it was, it was, like, the next episode after this one and then another one immediately following that that I thought, oh, this would be great for our podcast. Yeah. And it's one of those things where that's kind of rare. I mean, usually, like, it's one episode, then, like, skip a few, and then another episode, then mm-hmm. skip a few... Season one of Next Gen is horrifying. Like, it's amazing to me that it had seven seasons. I am surprised that it got picked up after season one. But I I guess it was, you know, a different time in television and you could get away with different things or different things were entertaining to the audiences. Um, Like in this one. Yeah. Obviously, there's like you go through each episode and there's always like a little bit of nostalgia going hearkening back to the original series. Uh, in this episode, we kind of get this, it, it kind of made me realize it, and I wrote the note that we should just call the first season the search for our Scotty, you know, like mm, there's always yeah. a new chief engineer. It's not until season two that they get, they, you know, stick LaForge in that role, which by the way, he's a helmsman. How does he become chief engineer? I don't understand Brilliant, that one. Yeah. He's Jordy LaForge. I mean, I guess he, he, I don't know. There was some, I think there was some weird things going on there that got him that promotion because he didn't really like. Isn't there an episode, now I'm trying to think, isn't there an episode where he ends up doing something that like saves the ship? I think there's like a couple episodes where. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, where his, it's, it's his engineering skills. His engineering skills seem to like really shine. Yeah. And, and it's in the first season, so I feel like that's probably yeah, the okay. situation. I mean, okay. that's kind of the sense I got. Was it like, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, your your point stands that that because who was the chief engineer? It was a, it was a woman. We talked about yeah. it in the first episode of of Next Gen. Yeah. Um, oh, I can't think of her name now. McCullen, something with an MC. Some something. Yeah. Something equally I mean, Scotty esque. I would say I've slept since then, but that's not true. It, it was it was something Scottish for yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, so I kind of made the, I was making the joke that like. Um, that we have Argyle and O'Brien, so we have like a Scotch and an Irish, you know, so yeah. like Scotch Irish theme going. I don't know what that's about. I don't know. Oh, well, and then yeah. of course Scotty, the original. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, is it, did, did sometime between now and the 23rd century, they come up with a really epic engineering program coming out yeah. of Scotland? Scotland's like the new MIT, I guess. Um, anyway, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking, well, we'll have to talk about it when we get there but I, I had a I have a theory about why Picard has a British accent 
You think okay. like Britain invaded France at some point? Like a head cannon theory? Yeah, we'll have oh, to yeah. talk about it. But, um, <laughs> but why does his mom still have a British accent that, in this episode? You mean, you mean the she has quote, a French French accent? Yeah, Air Bunny's French accent. Yes, um, I would hardly call. I think she had a speech impediment. I think that's the term you're looking for. <laughs> or a stroke? Um, I don't or know. a stroke? Yeah, like <laughs> what was anyway? Whatever. Yeah, okay. no, I agree. But I, I, yeah, this episode seems to fit in with season one beautifully in that it is yeah. absolute crap. Um, <laughs> and all of season one is that way. I mean, season the acting I, is you know, horrible. There are some redeeming qualities in season one and this episode. Um, I'm going to go ahead and take that take that line, not to yeah. be confrontational. No, I, w- one of us has to do it. But there are some things about it. I don't it. envy you um, Like this episode specifically and how it fits in is it is still one of those introductory episodes. Yeah. We're still early in the first season. They're trying their best to give you kind of an, a glimpse into certain characters' backgrounds. Um, you get a little bit more into Tasha Yar with her crazy weird flashback when they're at the edge of the universe. Um, oh, yeah. You learn a lot more about Wesley Crusher and, and his mental abilities, his, uh, his you know, how, the, how they treat him, how the adults yeah. treat him in this episode, uh, kind of how society re- still at that point is responding to their young, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. I, you know, I mean, I think that th- there's there's so many issues with this episode. There are a few shining moments. I have mm-hmm. to say Kaczynski's character is great. Um, he I is, mean, he's obnoxious, but, like, he's really intended to be. Uh, and yeah, I, and, and he's, I think he, it's fun to watch him be it's obnoxious. Great. It's, it's fun to watch him get torn down because you oh, yeah. know it's going to happen. I mean, he yeah. walks in and he's just this pompous, you know, but and yeah. um and then he uh, you I mean the, the the inevitable downfall is wonderful yes um, so that was that was interesting and they kind of set up for that that fact to kind of like whenever you first meet them in that little conversation that Riker and Deanna Troy has right after yeah. they they leave the transporter room and it's like oh so the person that we're really supposed to be paying attention to is the traveler not Kaczynski yeah, yeah. right yeah which was a little I thought they were telegraphing that one way it, too it, much and maybe that's the problem with this episode is it so much of it feels really forced and telegraphed that it's hard uh-huh. to take it seriously at all. I think what it was was writers at that of that period didn't trust their audiences to pick up on nuance. Agreed. Oh, so agreed. There was there is something very unnuanced about this episode. Yes, There's, it's it's heavy handed mm-hmm. in in every sense of the word. Oddly, it was written by Gene Roddenberry. I mean, so yeah. there's no subtlety. I mean, he's a writer of the '60s, though. But there's subtlety in the original series. I mean, not much. Uh, not not to I the extent so. that not to the extent that we have subtlety these days. Yeah, which may, may, I say yeah. subtlety. I mean, okay. I mean, I, we don't. We still don't have subtlety in television. I mean, we we but we we telegraph it differently. We don't have conversations yeah. telling it. Yeah. We have like, oh, this is a camera angle that we're that's right. You know. Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really valid. Yeah. Um, I think so, there we hadn't got at this point we hadn't gotten to that experimental phase with you know cinematography. Well, and I think that I think that season one, I think it was trying to figure out what it was. Is it yeah. still a science fiction? I mean, obviously it is, but is yeah. it is it more focused on the like science part, or is it more focused on the or or, or is it a, is it a human drama? Yeah. You know, what what's what's going? Is this is this you know are we looking at relationships? This mm-hmm. kind of thing. So I think that I think that generally speaking, this episode fits in well with the first season in I that d- it's trying to right. find its, you know, sea legs, as it were. I definitely agree with you there. So 
take a minute to talk about, um, well, I, the pumpkin in the room. Uh, <laughs> was that it, sweater. I oh. know, right? That sweater is amazing. I want that sweater. I, I mean, loved how, like, just for a second, I know what you're about to, I know you're about to introduce our next topic, but I want to take a minute in appreciation of the fun sweaters they put Wesley in in season one. Right? That, okay, so, like, I was a little disappointed when he started wearing his cadet uniform because that... Oh, I know, no that little more, gray thing. Yeah, because that meant no more, like, awesome outfits. I know! No more awesome, like, late 80s, early 90s interpretation of what the 23rd century was going to look like. I know. That's the oh. best part about Wesley's character, is that you have this obvious attempt at, like, mm-hmm. fashion, but it's clear, like, anyway, it's, it's yeah. awesome. Um, so, and I actually, for the record, <laughs> I would love that sweater. I know uh, you would. <laughs> I would wear that chunky I think you sweater. had a sweater very similar to that. Uh, not in that not in that particular shade of orange. No. Um, no. I, I, I definitely have a chunky cable knit sweater, but not not, not that, that one. shade no, of orange. No, I feel yeah. Um, <laughs> but okay, so like you know, Wesley is is a problem because he's a character that is written to be obnoxious, and all the characters on the show treat him as though he were obnoxious, and that's a problem. I mean, that's a bad character. I you know. Here's the thing. While I see where you're coming from, I don't necessarily think he was written to be obnoxious. I think he was written to be a kid by people who did not understand what it was to be a kid anymore. Like, I don't think that the writers quite understood whoever was in charge of writing his dialogue or developing his character Mm -hmm. did not understand what it was to be a child or to be that that particular age, 15, whatever. So I think he did come off as annoying, and I believe he did annoy the adult characters in that world, but I don't think it was intentional. Yeah, I, well, I would buy that, except that the way that the other characters treat him mm-hmm. indicates to me that we're supposed to see him as obnoxious, and, and my, my sort of other evidence is the way that they treat data. So their obnoxiousness is intended to be laughable. And we're supposed to find it funny, but I don't find it funny at all. In fact, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's obnoxious on a good day, on a bad day. It just looks like bad writing. Yeah, I think what they did, and I think they did a really good job of it with this, and this is just my, my opinion, is that it wasn't that they were trying to make them annoying. I think what they were trying to do was show that even something that you might find annoying, teach the lesson that if you find something annoying or someone annoying, they still have value in society. Because look at how both Data and Wesley throughout the first season, second season, incrementally by their actions develop merit and show that they've earned a place at the bridge based on you know their observational abilities based on how quick on their feet they are how good at their job they are even if they are annoying in this in these early episodes they still have value and show that they have value to the crew i i definitely i definitely see your point in that like you know, we're, we're, we warm to, 
first of all, well, I, I, no one ever warms to Wesley. Yeah. Okay. So like <laughs> I was about to say, we warmed to Wesley. We warmed, but I love Data from day one. I mean, and, yeah. and, and the way the crew treats him bugs me. You know, I don't think I, I disagree. I don't like Data from day one. I like Data from like probably three quarters of the way through the first season. There's this um, pretty great episode um, where it's the first episode where Data learns about Sherlock Holmes. And I don't mm-hmm. know if it's that like he just never learned of him or heard of him before or whatever, but he he sort of adopts his behavior and starts smoking a pipe and saying indubitably mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's one of those episodes where I think they were writing it for funsies and to make us laugh, but it comes off as horrifyingly obnoxious. <laughs> and to me, like... Wesley in this episode has that same level of obnoxiousness. He's it's it just feels so. He feels mm. it feels put on. Is that I mean that that's the best way I can explain it. Is okay. It feels like it feels like somebody sort of like I don't know pasted their concept of a teenage boy onto Wesley. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I think that. That is something that is done even as Wesley grows up. Um, the One of the last episodes, I think it is the last episode that Wesley Crusher is in, he is so annoying. And he's this like, uh, yeah. like 19-year-old obnoxious little Hippie. twerp yeah. who's like, oh, I know all about that, Jordy. You, you, you're doing it wrong because I'm so much smarter than you. And yeah, like it's like the kid coming home from college. Yes. It, and like, like he just learned about Native American history. And, yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. Also, incidentally, well, maybe not at all, but do 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 an episode with the traveler. Like that's, yeah, that's one of the exactly. I think, it, I think there's. I want to say there's three total. Episodes. I guess they're bookending Wesley's story with right with like obnoxiousness and the traveler. Yeah, and a, <laughs> just a dash of racism. Um, uh, so there was no racism in this episode. Well, no, not in the this way one. they treat the, re- the 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 traveler is pretty daggum racist. Uh, yeah, yeah, speciesist. Uh, uh, well, yeah, yeah I, he's well, a race. He's yeah, he yeah. I well, I I wouldn't argue. Well, maybe we can talk about that, but I wouldn't say they treat him racist. I was, or, you know, they treat him as though he is expendable. They treat him as though he has information that they need to survive. Yeah. And, and it is his fault that they are there. Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, it is yeah. I mean, his it's fault. absolutely. He made a mistake. Know, he, oh, I made a mistake. Okay. Yeah, he, but I, should he have to pay space, for that mistake with his, with his life? Continuum? Like, um, so, so basically, I, we're kind of jumping ahead of, in yeah, the conversation. We are, we are. I really want to circle back around to that. Okay, yeah, we're going to have to because I, I th- there's a lot to say about the traveler yeah. that we need to address. But, but, but back on Wesley but and so, his okay, treatment. So, so, Wesley, so Wesley, part of the problem that I have with Wesley, and actually it starts in this episode, mm-hmm. is that Wesley seemingly jumps from cable knit sweater kid to acting ensign in yeah. this episode for really no reason. I mean, mm-hmm. like, let, let's examine, oh, aside from the fact that the Traveler says, okay, Wesley is going to be, you know, the next phase of human evolution, and we, mm-hmm. you, know, you need to invest in him. Really, Wesley does nothing to merit being granted this role. He, he, I mean, there's nothing that he does. It's not like he solves an equation. It's not like he, you know what I mean? There's no, yeah. there's no, like, the only thing that he does is notice the traveler. 
which should have happened and, and may, may, may well have happened, you know, had he not been there. Maybe another, an ensign um, or another, you know, officer would have sat next to the traveler and witnessed mm-hmm. the traveler going through this and had the exact same experience. So we don't really know. The only thing that I figure, um, well, my, my, my suspicion, other than the traveler's insistence that Picard like work with Wesley and hopefully, you know, sort of get humanity to that next phase of existence is that Picard has taken an interest in Wesley because of his affinity for Dr. Crusher and his guilt associated with the death of Jack Crusher. So I, I would argue that there's a sort of more than slight level of nepotism going on here. Well, I see that point of view and I can see how you, I, I see your case for it. Um, I don't want to be dismissive of that, but I'm looking at this from the perspective of a 1980s audience, not from the perspective of like a literary critic. Um, so Roll your eyes at that. So <laughs> we are an awesome bunch. Yeah, I know we you guys fun. are. Don't yeah. judge us. Yeah, you guys have fun, but you can never have fun after going to a movie with you. It is fun to pick apart everything that you've ever loved. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, um, the way I see it is you have this, from a 1980s, from the perspective of a simpler audience. I, I don't want to say simpler audience because that just... That, no, I, I, I... you get I, what I'm saying? I, no, I see... I, your point is that from an audience that's not looking at it with a critical eye. With a critical eye. It, they're looking at it... For entertainment. In universe. Yeah, so let's say sure, we're looking okay. at this yeah. in, in universe. Wesley Crusher... This is one of those things where he, again, it com- it compounds on itself all of the other things that Wesley Crusher has done to this point to get him on the bridge. He really wants to. He's really intelligent. He does leapfrog over all of the enlisted personnel on the ship and, you know, other yeah. ensigns, which uh, is kind of shady. Helmsman. But he's also... worked their whole lives. I know. Him. But he's also showing that he has great promise and that... He does probably know a lot more than other acting, other ensigns, other service members, and that he is intelligent, and that's what earns him his seat at the table. Not the fact that he is Wesley or you know Beverly Crusher's son, and that Picard's got it hard for you know that kind of thing. I think it's just, um, I, th- I think it's really just that in universe Wesley Crusher. Proves that he is an intelligent young man and that he is ready for that type of role aboard the ship. I, I'm not going to disagree with Wesley Crusher as an intelligent young man, but what I'm curious about, and maybe this is one of those questions that we just can't answer because we don't have enough information, but what I'm curious about is how does he stack up to his peers? I mean, hmm. for instance, he does not get into the academy on his first yeah, go. Yeah, but that's, he's like second place to Mordok. Um, also, he beats out the other kid on on board the Enterprise to go take the test. Yeah, but I'm. But, I mean, the the point is, is that like, is he really that much better than every other person there? I mean, I, I mean, is he is he is he really is he better than the ensigns whose place he's taking? Fair enough. I mean, the question is, and it, maybe this is to me as a you know. As, you know, not to be all patriotic, but as American, I believe in meritocracy. Mm-hmm. Or I believe in I believe wholeheartedly that a person should earn their place, and it's yeah. frustrating to see 
some kid getting an, a place at the table when mm-hmm. r- really based on his relationship i would argue i would argue at least at the very minimum and this is enough for me to dislike this situation mm-hmm. at the very minimum his place at the table is secured because he knows the captain right like in the sense that if 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 he were some if he were somebody's you know some engineer's kid right or some yeah. botanist kid or, he wouldn't have known yeah. picard and picard would not have been able to see his brilliance so his relative like sort of distance to the captain is what gives him that access and gives yeah. him that sort of jumping point and i'm not going to say that he doesn't earn it maybe in later episodes i think he does i'm you know i, I think i'm yeah unfair. but at this particular but point at this particular point and, and in this particular episode when he is made acting ensign I'm not seeing anything that suggests that he earned this position. Mm-hmm. I'm he he was nice to a guy, which is good. Um, he advocated for his life, which is also good. But I don't know that he did anything out of the ordinary or above and beyond. You know what any person would do given that set of circumstances. I don't know. I mean, hmm. maybe, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but I, I don't, I don't see it, frankly. I, I, I think I, I think I have to concede to you on that. Yeah. In real life, he didn't really earn it at this point based on, based on it. But, yeah. but as he goes throughout, he does earn it. I think so. I, he, I would He does that. earn it. But yeah. the point is, is he's a kid aboard a starship. Like, why would he earn that like there's no way that he could earn that level of competency as just a civilian on a ship yeah you don't see Guinan you know run you know hopping aboard the 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 bridge and flying the ship around to be fair Picard takes her advice yeah, he, but that's a di- there's a difference between taking the advice of somebody and letting them actively like fill a role aboard your ship. Well, like and, that. and yeah, and I mean, but but I mean, I guess my point is that Picard is willing to look outside Federation regulation for advice or for counsel or for you know even help. Yeah, for talent. For talent. I don't know that that's a good thing, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I think that that may be a big flaw in Picard's... I have to agree. I mean, I, like, I, I wonder... I think that's a bit of a flaw because, yeah. you know, they have these regulations. I mean, there is, they're using a military structure for a reason. I mean, they're, they're in situations where their lives are going to be on the line through and through. And right. so you're putting a 16-year-old kid... Uh, 15 year old kid at the helm flying your ship flying how many what's the crew complement of 1100 or so something I mean, ridiculous yeah. yeah it's a it's a roving city in space and you're given the you know you're given the keys of the car to a 15 year old that's yeah i mean yeah i'll put it another way if a 15 year old were driving my nissan cube uh with <laughs> our son in the back seat would you be comfortable with that no. No. <laughs> so and, not and you even have to, a little bit. Not even not even a tiny fraction. So imagine the grumblings aboard oh, the yeah. Enterprise. I just have to imagine. Yeah, you're, you're right. The grumblings. <laughs> I have to imagine like freaking O'Brien and all the rest of the transporter techs. You know, right. uh, did you hear what they did? Yeah, they made Wesley an acting ensign. Oh, did they now? I've I've fought in the freaking. 
war against the Cardassians, yeah. and and they're letting that little twerp fly the ship. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, I've I've <laughs> lost friends. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, again, and that that's what really bugs. I mean, the same thing. There's a lot of other you know situations where it's like. Um, when when they first encounter the Borg and, mm-hmm. and Guinan is the one that's giving advice to Picard, it's like you have seasoned like uh, crew members who have been in battle, and you're yeah. asking. I mean, I'm, I'm not. But I'm none not, of them had been against the Borg. Though. I'm not saying so, that he's wrong for doing so in this. Yeah. In that, but I'm saying that there is. He doesn't look inside the crew for yeah. talent. When he really should, and well, I and, no. and and the I fact think, that he steps outside so far outside. Yeah, I think in that instance though, that's probably not necessarily the best example. But I do get what you're saying. Right. Like there are other examples of him going out and searching for advice whenever he's got perfectly competent uh, bridge crew that he can he can rely on. Um, with the with regards to the Borg, though, I think the like they kind of make a good point that Guinan is literally the only person in the Alpha Quadrant who's ever encountered the Borg at that point. Right. Um, so he was asking her advice on yeah, them no, because I mean, I, yeah, maybe that was a bad example. But I guess I guess my point is that like his this seems to be a pattern in Picard's yeah. behavior and the fact that like it's one thing to take the opportunity to influence a young man and like hope that he's going to sort of whatever reach his full potential like that's one thing to put him at the helm of a 1100 passenger starship yes is is irresponsible definitely bordering on like negligent yeah you know bordering on dereliction of duty yeah I mean so there's None of this to me see like, you know. Oh, we're supposed to just sort of buy that this kid can handle it, and da da da. Like we're talking about. I mean, we're talking. Yeah. We're talking about. It's one thing to have him up there observing and say you can observe, so yes. and so. Learn how right. a bridge runs and right. operates. But but to have him become so quickly a, a major a major player on the bridge mm-hmm. is irresponsible yeah so anyway I mean and, that, and and that's that's part of why this episode is so frustrating for me I agree so okay I really want to get back to the to the traveler on this one um, our three-fingered pal. Our three-fingered three-fingered pal. Uh, that sounds so dirty. Why does he not have a name? It bugs me when they don't have names. I know. Well, he does have a name. He just can't be pronounced by a so English you can't folk. Call him, like Roy or something. Like you have to. Yeah, you, you can't give him a nickname like Chuck. Like hipster name. I am the traveler. Fine. Let's call him Chuck from now on. Okay, Chuck the traveler. All right, Chuck the traveler. Okay, so. <laughs> One of the things that bugs me about the treatment of the Traveler in this episode is Picard and how he just says, basically, you know what? I know you're on the on death's door right now, but uh, you're going to have to get your butt up and, and, you know, I don't care if you die. You're going to get us back to the Alpha Quadrant. You know, that You're supposed me. to be defending this episode. Okay, fine. I'm supposed to be defending this episode. The episode 
I can still defend this episode as a good episode and point out the fact that Picard is flawed. I think actually we're supposed to see that Picard is flawed in this moment. And I think yeah. I think we're supposed to read so in the sense that like if you're defending it as a good episode, it portrayed its intentions well. I think that absolutely is true. Yes. I, and one of the things that like sort of bugged me just from a logical standpoint is that if the Traveler had died as a result of Picard's irresponsible actions... Which, for all intents and purposes, he, he did. Well, but... Um, we know the, he comes back later, but, but at this the, point, but we I know mean, that. Even, even when he's in sickbay, I'm saying, yeah. like, if Picard had woken him, awoken him and he's like... Uh, bleh, bleh, Wake him know. up again, and yeah. it kills him. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, then you're stuck in wherever the yeah. crap they're supposed and to it's, be. And it's one of those things, like, I get, like, the reasoning that he d- does this. It's because if they stay any longer, somebody's going to have some weird dream and it's going to make the uh, Enterprise explode or something like that. Or a Kraken is going to swallow them. A Kraken's going to swallow them whole. turn into turds. Exactly. So, so we're supposed to have this, you know, urgency that they need to hurry up and get out of there. But the point, but the thing that bugs me about that is, is aren't we supposed to be an evolved species by this point? Shouldn't they be able to control their their thoughts like that? Yeah, I mean that that works. Except for I mean, as we've mentioned before, there are children on board. So I mean, I can't. You, I mean, you can't expect an yeah. infant to like. I mean, you know. I mean, it, it becomes fair enough. I'm, I'm not gonna. I mean, the, the logistical nightmare of this whole thing. I mean, it, it's it's what's weird to me about this sort of like where thought and matter is it thought and matter and energy or. Uh, space, time, and thought space. are separate things. Okay, weird. Okay. Um, don't, don't, don't say things like that, boy. You're not ready. The um, world's not ready for that. Yeah, okay. Uh, all right, Gene Roddenberry, that's not heavy-handed at all. Yeah, um, I know. So, okay, so, so, the logistics of this bug me on a level that I, like, I know... Because it makes no sense? Be, yeah, I know it's supposed to be a metaphor and, like, blah, blah, but, like... For what? I don't know. But it's, but it, it, it's, okay, like, human beings are thoughtful creatures, so we're constantly thinking about things, Yeah. right? I mean, I, I'm never just sitting, I mean, like... Well, most of us are. Yeah, I mean, I have to actively, like, empty my mind, like, you know, when I meditate, like, that's, the, I have to actively empty my mind mm-hmm. to, to have no thoughts. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm constantly, like reimagining conversations I've had or, you know, like picturing dragons swallowing my town or um, (laughs) like, I don't know. Are you a crazy person? Yes, okay, (laughs) you knew this when you married me. Like, like I, my, my, it's impossible. So I have to imagine that, okay, there are 1,100 people on the ship, so that means there are 1,100 different sort of like thought reality situations happening Mm -hmm. all at once, all over the enterprise mm-hmm. and we only see a few of them but that would that would it doesn't make like the, the 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 bridge should have become a chaotic nightmare the second they entered the space this weird time. twilight zone area yeah right so okay like what <laughs> okay i get what you're saying it is it is a weird thing and i think that I hate to just chalk it up to oh it's season one again, but I, well, and that, it yeah. really, it really, I think is just let's just chalk that one up to it's season one. Honestly. Well, and I guess, I mean, you know, I'm I'm making fun of Roddenberry for trying to be heavy handed with his like, you know, we're not ready for this, we're not ready for that, 
But yeah. I he's trying to insert some philosophy. Yeah, he's trying to get people to think a little bit more than just, you know, their yeah. current surroundings. And it's kind of, I guess, falls into the whole, uh, the, the whole thought that, you know, perspective is what really makes your your world go you know right that we can that yeah that's the only thing that's holding us back right now is how we are viewing it right viewing the world yeah it's our decision i mean scarcity is a choice right like and and this is and this is this is roddenberry's sort of utopian message and i think the the problem that i have is that the messenger and by that i mean the traveler himself is just so dumb like, like aside from the fact that okay, so he's a race. He's part of a race who are seeking others like themselves, mm-hmm. not seeking new life. They're not out to discover. Well, it's because they know that new life is out there. Well, but yep. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, you wouldn't want to have a conversation with a sentient being from another planet. Come on, like, yeah, no, that'd be pretty cool. But I'm, that's I'm an assuming. I'm assuming that's part of the deal is, like, he's going and traveling around and talking but to him. But he specifically said, because he's, like, they're like, wait, so why haven't we heard of you people before? And he's like, oh, well, because you weren't interesting enough. Yeah, fair So, enough. I mean, like, there is this sort of weird, like... Well, we kind of get that throughout, like, with, with um... I mean, think about it this way. Why aren't, you know, why aren't, why isn't the Enterprise stopping off at every planet that has life on it to talk to them? You know, it's because they haven't gotten to a certain developmental point yet. Well, but that's a, that's a different, that's part of the prime directive. But he, what he's saying is specifically that the human species is uninteresting because they haven't Mm -hmm. reached this level of evolution. And he's, he's trying, so... Okay, but, like, let's kind of... What bugs me about The Traveler is that he sounds like a stoned philosophy professor when he talks. Yeah. And I I half expected him to pull out a pipe and a hacky sack and, <laughs> and a tie-dye t-shirt and a sort of weird goatee type situation, but it's a little too wispy to be a real goatee, so it's just sort of these, like, whiskers that fly off his face. Gotcha. Okay. You understand what I'm talking about? You've you seen painted, him. You're painting me a word picture. Thank, yeah, you've seen him. You've seen yeah, him at the coffee yeah, shop yeah. around here. Um, like, yeah. he's he's that guy, and it's his, his philosophy comes off as pretentious nonsense. Oh, no, it definitely is. I, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to disagree with you there. Like, a lot of what they're, it, it's plot, it, it's boilerplate plot thickening juice gumbo. That's all that is. It's not meant to mean anything. It's meant to make people go, huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. This is, so you've just described the entire discipline of philosophy. It's not meant to mean anything. <laughs> you um, know, you're going to get like a butt ton of angry philosophy majors. Okay, yes, send them my way. Yeah. Come at me, bro. The only, thing, the only thing more useless than a philosophy degree is an anthropology degree. Or an English degree. Um, uh, no. <laughs> I yeah. have one, so I can say that. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I, no, my, my problem with, with his, is it, it's just nonsense. And I mean, yeah. it just feels like nonsense until they get to the sort of like. I can't disagree with you. Space time end of universe place. Yeah. Actually, you know what? There is one other thing that I wanted to kind of throw in at some point. 
Um, I, not to not to derail this no, conversation. No, no, you're fine. You're good. But, I made my point. Yeah, no. I won. We're th- good. Okay, you made your point. You won. <laughs> but can we just talk? Take a minute to talk about warp ten for a second. Ah, oh, the warp barrier. I wrote. I okay. wrote down the warp barrier. So yeah, here's the thing. It. In every, it's kind of a running thing, and I think at this point it's just kind of a freaking joke. Because they bring up Warp 10 in this, they bring up Warp 10 in Voyager, they bring it up in, which movie was it? Was it The Voyage Home, I think, or... I'm not, I don't remember. I can't remember. It's the one where they had the, where they were all aboard the Klingon ship. But anyway, they bring up this Warp 10, and each time one of them hits, one of the crews hits Warp 10, something different happens. Like... Uh, like with okay. with the old with the TOS movie that where they hit warp 10 they went back in time with um the new with with Voyager they hit warp 10 and Tom turned into a weird turtle looking thing turtle lizard oh, thing Oh the lizard episode Yeah and we'll in this one. one nothing happened except well, for okay, they got so, flung across the galaxy So All right so now I'm in the like really awkward position of having to try to defend this episode even though it's completely indefensible but um, my my thing about it is that I my understanding of this situation is that they're phasing in and out of reality, and so they're not having they're not res- like I don't remember what happens in the Voyager episode, so I couldn't really tell you why they turn into lizards. But but the way I sort of gathered this situation was that it wasn't that they were breaking the warp barrier it's that they're sort of like jumping out of our dimension and like back into our dimension and it's sort of phasing in and out and and mm. we know this because that's what's happening with um the traveler with chuck uh so if that's the case though wouldn't <laughs> how would they be able to tell because they would be going in and out too unless they're going in and out at different rates but they don't I really it just that, that I, don't I, know. I think it's a valid attempt at trying to explain it but yeah well but it's yeah but you're but you're pointing to another major problem in this episode which is that that, that like that the in-universe logic goes out the window yeah. in favor of like some pretty crappy I just, plot devices. I just wish that like in-universe, Gene Roddenberry would have said, hey, this is what happens when we hit warp 10. Let's not with it anymore. Yeah, right? Um, so, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where like we have to sort of assume that there's a logic maybe that exists for the traveler. Yeah. Um, but I... I mean, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's a good explanation Anywho, at all. That, that was just something that yeah, made me, no, I just popped into my head and I had to say something about it. Yeah, the warp 10 thing is weird. I, I, yeah. and, and they and they say it and I, I, I think I wrote down warp barrier. Yeah. Mark. Um, the other thing that I want to talk about, if it's all right with you, can yeah, we talk yeah. about like some of the reactions to uh, being in the weird Twilight Zone thing? Like yeah. specifically Worf and how he had a Targ as a child. Even though he was, he grew up on Earth? Okay, so I thought about that, and my thought on that subject was that um, maybe it's from, like, his early, early childhood, because he was adopted when he was, like, six, I think. Yeah, and okay. We, and, okay, and, like, we know... I can buy that. So we know that, like, Alexander, for example, he's only three when, or maybe four, when, when, when we see him again. Like, he's, like... 
I think he's like two, two. years old, but so, honestly. Okay, so, but. so the, so the, the Klingon maturation rate is, is different from the human maturation rate. Yeah. So he so let's assume that Worf is six. Maybe that's like being, uh, you know, an 11-year-old okay. or something. So that was kind of how I... The other possibility, of course, is that his adoptive parents, like, sought a Targ and got it for him so that he could have it, you know? I mean, yeah, that, that would have been interesting on trying to get a Targ during that particular era, because I think at that point, they were still kind of at war. But it, the war ended relatively quickly after yeah. Worf was adopted by the Roshenkos, So Fair enough. So, okay, so that was that, but... But I actually, okay, I wanted to talk a little bit about Tasha Yar and the rape gangs. I, yeah, I, I really like, don't, because it makes me want to go take a shower. I feel like that they use, like, like that they found the two worst words that they could put together. Yeah. And like, there's, there, I mean, it almost seems meaningless. It seems like a meaningless term. I know that this is a thing that happens. I know that this is a real thing and that this is something that has happened in human history. So I'm not going to say it's not real because that doesn't make sense. But it, it seems like one of those things or one of those situations that a character, she drops that anvil and who is it, Jordy, that, that like turns her around and she says, oh, I was back on my home worlds and there were rape gangs. I think it's Jordy. And like she drops that anvil on him and it's like, and we're not going to talk about this. Like maybe we're just we, going to move we're right just along. Gonna, we're just going to slide right on past that. that they kind of do that with a lot of like Tashi Yar throughout I the know, first season. I know. Which is like, it's like they could have, if they would have kept her on, they could have had a way to develop her character more but they didn't they didn't develop her beyond the fact that she was a tough girl that grew up on a tough planet on the world's toughest planet yeah on the world's worst place to grow up galaxy's toughest planet as it were yeah yeah or quadrant i guess but i mean yeah so i guess i just one of the it bugs me that like we see this like horrifying scene or supposed to be a horrifying scene where she's apparently petting her cat which okay I'm not even going to get into the logistics of trying to keep a cat in a war zone but whatever yeah um so okay so she's petting her cat and um and then and then she like says to I think it's Jordy you know um I was back on my home world with rape gangs and I'm thinking does Jordy at that point not sit down and say okay Tasha like, you've clearly just had an episode of PTSD. We need to get you to sickbay. We need to get you some, like, hot you tea. You need to, like, like go we, see Counselor like, Troy. Yeah, like, you need to take a minute because you just had a flashback. Yeah. Like, the the, the fact that they just sort of dropped that one yeah. on everybody's lap. It's like, well, and then, you like, know, okay, nobody will look at that again. Sucks to be you, Tasha. Get back to work. Yeah, you know? right. I mean, there's something really... I mean, because... Because... Okay... She says, I was just back on my home world. That reads like to any To any outside outside observer, it's like, oh, you were you were having a bit of a flashback. Yeah. Right. So that means that you have mental illness. You probably shouldn't be in charge of security for an eleven hundred passenger ship, but yeah. whatever. Let's just slide right on Yeah, let's go that. ahead and give that job to the most aggressive human being ever. Well, or, or the most aggressive one, being in the galaxy. Or at least the one that or at least the one that like you know, has some 
pretty disturbed flashback. Whatever. Yeah. No, I'm so, talking about like after they take oh, it away from yeah, her giving so it to they, Worf. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, to be fair, Worf is... He's the security chief, and he like is the only one that's like, "Hey, this is really dangerous. We shouldn't do that." And everyone's yeah. like, "Oh, Worf. I'm just really surprised." Oh, Worf. Like, just just like as an aside, right? Quick, I'm just really surprised there were not more like instances of police brutality under the regime of no, Worf, Sheriff Worf. Worf, Worf, Worf <laughs> it, how dare you? Worf is a disciplined man, and he's I he's very disciplined. So the, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so I so. Those so those two okay like let's just we're gonna have to just ignore the fact that uh, Tasha Yar uh, apparently has PTSD. Yeah. Um, the one that gets me and it's <laughs> it's Picard's mother. Oh I, yes. Maman, I don't know. If, I don't speak French. Is is I assume that's mother. I maybe grandmother. I'm not yeah. sure. Um, her accent is so bad, so bad. It is laughable. Like, the yeah. whole scene is supposed to be poignant. And Patrick Stewart, to his credit as an actor, is amazing in that scene. Yeah. But no, he's he played it with mother, a straight face. Yes, that's what's amazing to me. Yeah. <laughs> is that he was able it's to... It's like Natalie Portman, in, opposite of Hayden yep, Christensen, man. It, like, you just... solidified my respect yeah. for her as an actress. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. What yeah. Are your, what are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts on it is, first off, I'm like, how does Picard have a British accent and his mom have a French one? Some of that should have rubbed off at some point, but I don't know. Uh, I have a theory. That was really all I you had to You want to hear my headcanon theory? Yeah, let's hear it. Okay, so global warming is happening, right? Uh-huh. Um, which means that eventually the tides are going to rise, okay, and like mm-hmm. cover parts of Britain because it's an island nation. And so France, being the nice people that they are, they're like, oh, we'll have, we'll move some British people to France, to like parts of France, and you guys can be refugees here. And so they have these sort of British, like colonies, basically, in France, or like British refugee camps in France. Like, you know how, like India has like all the Tibetan refugees, and like Mm -hmm. there's a part of India that's basically just Tibet. Same thing. So, so Picard and his family originated in Britain and moved to France as refugees. But how did they get a... So, wait. They married into a wine family. And that's why some of his family members have French accents and some of his family members, including him, have British accents. Him and his brother both have British accents. That's very true. Him, his brother, and... Everyone else that's still alive so, that has the name Picard has a French, or has a British accent. Well, the wife has an American accent, but so so my, yeah. So my thought is that is that maybe like Picard's father was the British one, and his mother owned the winery, and so and the father took the the Picard last name. Yeah, because that's not? a French name. Yeah, why not? Okay, Picard, sure. Hey, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. So that's my that's my headcanon. That's how I explain that one. Okay, I think it were. I, I you you keep believing that. I'm going to <laughs> forever. Um. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's that time. Time for some. Tr- 
So I'm going to get started with some, I think, kind of nice Trek news. Okay, uh, let's hear it. The Discovery uh, released, Star Trek Discovery released their theme song. Yeah, I, I gave it a listen. Um, that I was interesting. It. I liked it. <sighs> you know, it had a lot of things I liked, but mm-hmm. there was this one overshadowing thing that I did not like about it. The gritty reboot. It had that gritty reboot feel to it, and yeah, I see what you mean. Uh, we've we've had we've probably bored all. I know, I know. I everyone to death I, by I talking actually, about the gritty actually, reboot thing. I thought I thought overall it was good. I listened. Oh, it to was it a beautiful piece of music. Yeah, and for I sure. It. I mean, I really enjoyed it. So, and I, yeah. and I thought it. I thought it gave enough of an homage to the original series. I mean, yeah, it had that, that was, really. It had that Star Trek theme to it. I missed the theremin, but I was happy with it. Wow. Yeah. Theremins, though, really. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can build a theremin out of a raspberry pie and an antenna, basically. Yeah, I should do that. I should yeah. learn to play the theremin. It's supposed to be the hardest instrument to learn to play. Yeah, I can see why. Because yeah. it's really just waving your hands above a platform and an, between a platform and an antenna. That, I feel like I'd be good at that, though. Yeah, just waving be. my hands around. Could be. Yeah. I wouldn't make any music, but no, I feel just like make I, noise. I, I'd, good at, I'd be good at that. I'd be, <laughs> be good, at, good at making noise for sure. Yeah, I'm. I'm already. I think. Good at I that. think our child would be good at that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So, did you have any trick news? I do. Um, for those of you who keep up to date and have a Google alert for Star Trek, you probably already caught this one. But uh, so, Jonathan Frakes at a uh, panel let slip a pretty big spoiler about Star Trek Discovery. Um, the big spoiler is is that they're going to be doing a Mirror Universe episode mm. in Star Trek Discovery. Now, Did they not learn from the Mirror Universe episode? Okay. Like, I know. Do writers never learn? Do they never learn? It's just, I think it's a fun break that they like to have with that. I guess. It's probably for the actors as it's, much as it is. But, but they don't belong in the first season. Mirror episodes do not, I'm going to say it right now, right here, forever yeah. and ever, amen. Mirror episodes belong in like the, you know, second to last or last season of a show because yeah. by then all the characters are really well established and it's True. fun to see them doing something a little different. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree with that. Um, and the other thing is, is about this, this being a prequel. They have one of two routes that they can take, um, and really, actually, only one route they can take with this, and it's the Enterprise route. Um, so, if they try to do it, you know, where you know some of the characters of the Discovery crew accidentally end up in the Mirror Universe, kind of like they do in Deep Space Nine and TOS. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a problem with that because obviously there's no documentation of it before TOS, and this is supposed to be a prequel to TOS. If they do it in the way that uh, Enterprise does it, um, basically it's a one-off where the entire cast plays their mirror counterpart, and they just write a story based on that. Right. Which I can I can get on board with. That's what they did in Enterprise, and I I necessarily liked the episode, but. Like I like them doing it, but it was okay. I just think that, that if they're gonna do that, then they, I mean, it just it's hard because you're you're establishing these characters as who they're supposed to be, and then you have an episode that like flips all that on its head. But I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they'll work. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, it's I, 
I'm getting excited about Discovery, and I shouldn't because I feel like no. I'm setting myself up for Because everything I've heard about it, it makes me go, oh, no, please don't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, so what about um, some... I do have a technology that uh, I'm kind. I kind of like this. This is a really interesting story. That it's not anything new, but it's what we all want to see and hear about. Um, there was a brief interview with a doctor. Let me. I want to get her name right because I will screw it up. Um, it is Julie Lynn Wong. Um, it was a brief uh, interview in Toronto Life. And it's this doctor, basically what she's done is she's gone and bought a bunch of 3D printers. And anywhere she goes with like doctors, like kind of like Doctors Without Borders, she just prints the medical supplies she needs. That's awesome. Kind of like having her own little replicator there. Wow, she's a hero. Yeah, I know. It's pretty awesome. Now, if you've ever used a 3D printer, you know it can take a little while to print something. (laughs) Um, But... You know, at the end of it, it's well worth it because you have the device you need and you don't have to like, I'm sure it's quicker than sending a helicopter off to get the thing that you well, need. Well, and, and more cost effective. And more and, cost and, effective. And in areas that, that cost is a problem. Like, yeah. that's a really good thing. That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, no, I really like what that. A cool story. I thought it was really neat. And way to use like some really awesome technology for what it's meant to be used exactly. for. Exactly. like making the world a better yeah, place. Yeah, and not so making like stupid things. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. So um, I have it's not technology per se, but it's it's uh, it's it's getting us closer and closer to trekking. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's that the uh, today, actually. Uh, so today is the 18th of September. The crew from the, quote, Mars mission uh, came out of their little habitat. Um, oh, so, on the side of that uh, Hawaiian volcano yeah, thing. Yeah, so they were on uh, in Hawaii on Mauna Loa, and uh-huh. um, they stayed in there for eight months. It was four men and two women, um, mm-hmm. and they had to like live off of basically poor. living as though they were living in Mars. Those poor Mars. women. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Seriously, for so many reasons. Um, but I mean, but anyway. So the point is, it's like a real small habitat. But the point is, is that this is how we would live yeah you know the first few crews that went to mars yeah that's how they would live no, that's exactly right um if you ever saw the martian um yeah, so, <laughs> so they were there for eight months and Man. they were successful and they came out and they're very happy and they're you know they're saying hey mars is next like we, we yeah. need to get there no that's pretty so cool i think it'd be cool i mean if you know i i, mm-hmm. I have this like sort of weird fantasy where my son is just um old enough to watch as the first person walks on Mars. That'll be so cool. Yeah. All right, so now it's time for Trek. So I am recommending today. I actually, I'm really excited about my recommendation today. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I well, I, there have been a few times when I've been this excited about a new show, and I am super excited about this one. Okay. Um, I'm recommending The Orville. Um, Seth MacFarlane's new show. You son of a... Hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I wanted to recommend The Orville. Okay, well, we're both recommending We both have to recommend The Orville. Yeah. That show... Is great. It's amazing. I'm, I'm like, I, I, we just watched the second episode and I'm, I'm thrilled. Oh, man, it was fantastic. I, you know, the second episode I didn't think was as good as the first, but... I love they, it. The, Are you kidding me? Talk about an homage to the original series. Oh, the man. The zoo, 
Sorry. Mizzou. Spoiler. Yeah, I get I get what you're uh-huh. saying. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, sorry, spoilers. Spoilers. Um, spoiler alert. I absolutely love the Orville. And I yeah. I'm I'm like I, I don't know. I I I love that it's a fantastic homage to Star Trek. I love that it's funny. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't take itself too seriously, but I it's, agree. it's still got I mean, it just feels like the kind of show I don't know. I love it. I, I think it's phenomenal yeah. on every level. I'm, I'm just absolutely blown away by yeah, how it. Yeah, I really like it because it doesn't, it's not trying to be gritty reboot Star mm-hmm. Trek. It's nope. not trying to be, it's not trying to do the dark take on things. Mm-hmm. It's actually still showing this kind of like hopefulness of humanity. Absolutely. Which is what's, what I thought Star Trek was all about. Me too. And um, I, I, I love the, the dynamic between the characters because it's a guy and his ex wife. And like that's kind oh, of yeah. part of the plot is that. Um, sorry, spoilers. Um, but the, yeah. the, the the guy, um, the captain, Mercer, is, you know, he has to overcome his disdain for his ex-wife. And In order he, to have a functioning crew. Right, and he does. And that, I mean, it, on, on the one hand, like, you know, you sort of start off thinking, oh, this is going to be, you know, they're going to be sniping at each other and it's going to be terrible. And yeah, there's some of that and, and it's played for laughs, but the majority of this show, uh-huh. they're cooperating. Yeah. And like, they're, you know, putting aside their differences and working together. I mean, I'm yeah. blown away by how awesome the show is on, on so many levels. Oh, it's yeah. It's really funny. I feel like we're not like mentioning how funny it is, um, but it is really, really funny. No, um, it is quite hilarious. It's Seth MacFarlane, so if you and I'm not a fan of Family Guy, uh, uh, just for the record, I not that I don't like it per se. I just it just never, I never got into it the way I got into say The Simpsons or something like that. I agree. Like, it just never, you know. And American Dad was better. I liked I liked it a little bit. For me, I liked it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I never was really. And everyone hated the Cleveland show. I didn't, I didn't see it. Um, I literally have never seen an episode. Um, yeah. I didn't see Ted. I'm not a Seth MacFarlane fan. In the yeah. Sense, not that I don't like him per se, but just that his stuff has never appealed to me. Yeah. This appeals to me. It's brilliant. And I, yeah. and, I and it definitely has his brand. He's in it. I mean, he's the main yeah. character. Yeah. And it's got his brand of humor like sprinkled throughout. Absolutely. Like, yeah. like one of the very first things you see is, you know, somebody getting their head chopped off in in a freaking comical way oh yeah oh god that was great they had the holodeck yeah situation yeah yeah and it's brilliant i noticed uh this episode that brennan braga is the executive producer of this oh is he he's one of the exit he's one of the eps okay so anyway so that's i mean it's it's i cannot recommend this enough i want the show to do well so i am i am i am imploring you i'm not just recommending i am absolutely imploring you. yeah because if this show goes off the air we're blaming all of you yeah for not watching it (laughs) fox has a has a tendency to cancel great science fiction (coughs) yeah um never forget never forget uh brown coats forever um so yeah so watch the orville this is good science fiction guys i mean keep an eye on good science fiction so yeah uh, it's fun it's not it's not like if you're into the dark darker sci-fi yeah go ahead this is not watch something else yeah but this is if you're a trekkie this is gonna scratch if you like original series if you especially if you love tng because i thought this has this has a real tng feel to it it does um you'll you'll like this series i think i agree so all right yeah, That's pretty much go. all I got for today. Yeah, 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 same here. All right. All right, Trek and A. Trek and A. I went with data to the science fair. I took a blue ribbon in every category.
it's Libby. Um, I sort of just wanted to take a minute to apologize for taking so long to produce this latest episode. Well, uh, well, in case you, we haven't mentioned it before, Jason and I are from Texas, and though we weren't personally affected um, by Hurricane Harvey, because of my National Guard service, I had to go down and see what I could do to help. The answer is not a whole lot, but I did try my best. Um, I just wanted to say thanks for hanging in there with us, thanks for being patient, and we will try to let you know if we have to go on an impromptu hiatus. Um, we're going to try to stick to that two-week schedule, and if we need to take a break, we'll let you know. But thanks for being patient, and we hope you're still out there listening. Thanks. Bye.